Welcome to Port City Politics. I'm WHQR News Director Ben Shockman. And I'm WECT investigative reporter Michael Pratz. And our guest today is Wilmington City Councilman Luke Waddell. Luke, thanks for being here. Ben, Michael, appreciate y'all having me. I've been uh, wanting to get on this podcast. I, I consider it the premier political podcast in, in Wilmington and probably beyond. So thanks for having me. Of course. Well, we appreciate that. And uh, I'm not sure. Are we the only political podcast? No, that doesn't matter. That's semantics. <laughs> I don't know if we have a ton of competition right here in Wilmington, but I don't, I don't really care. It's like I am my mother's favorite son. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I have a brother, so I can't say that on, on the air. Uh, um, I have a brother, too, but I'm going to say it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> right out the gate. Okay. So recently uh, you met with some other elected officials uh, from New Hanover County and the city of Wilmington to talk about how our region is going to use proceeds from the opioid settlement. Um, for people who haven't been following along, give us a little bit of background about where this, uh, where this money is coming from. Yeah, so before I was involved, the county initiated uh, a lawsuit uh, to the opioid manufacturers. I don't know the exact amount. I want to say that we're total going to be like 15 to 18 million dollars. Um, so that settlement came to fruition recently. Uh, to the tune of about $5 million. And so the uh, the city and the county initiated a, a joint staff committee to uh, create a strategic plan on how to spend that money uh, in a prudent manner. Um, and then eventually there was a uh, an elected joint committee that was that was formed with myself being the lone, uh, the mayor appointed me as the lone city council appointee. And then uh, county commissioner chairman Bill Rivenbark and Deb Hayes are the uh, are the county uh, appointees. So you guys have laid out uh, a number of programs that this money is going to fund. Are there any that you are sort of more interested in or, or less interested in? Yeah, I mean, so we had our our, our committee convened. Like the, the joint staff committee was like meeting for like three months to kind of create the strategic plan. And then our committee convened this month, earlier this month, and really kind of got the first the first look at it so we're going to dive into the actual numbers over the course of this next probably 25 30 days i think our 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 committee meets at some some point in january where we really need to probably nail down that budget uh if we don't uh do it by then we've got to do it by february because we're then we're rolling into our respective budget seasons to Mm -hmm. to ratify our budget so um i mean there was some low-hanging fruit there was it's a three-pronged approach of education and outreach access to services and treatment, and then sustainable recovery and well-being. And I think the idea is before, during, and after, right? So you got folks who are having substance use disorder or substance use problem issues. Um, we want to try and get to there's – there's a reinvigoration of the of the D.A.R.E. program, which I know we all remember, right? But I was going to ask you about that. One of the most um, – I don't know, I think spectacular failure might be – Just over, say no. Overkill. But um, it, there's, there's plenty of reporting that the D.A.R.E. program in its initial – uh, formulation was not successful. Um, how do you feel about seeing Dare on the books again? Yeah, I mean that's. Uh, I mean, I think we all had the T-shirt, right? When we yeah, were, when yeah. We were growing up, but um, I, I think this is a little different. They're they're funding, you know, the school resource officers to kind of give them some to give them K through twelve opioid abuse prevention program uh, materials and, and education. I think it may be a little different than when we were all coming up. I, we didn't have as much knowledge of what what this was, right? Um, and uh, and I think that's why we see the issues that we have today. So, really, educating kids on 
I mean, they're probably seeing it at parties and all this, you know, and just kind of educating them on the, the life-changing effects, I, I think, is is warranted. You know, if you save a couple a couple lives, that's worth it. One's worth it. I, I mean, this is probably a question more for the sheriff's office than you, but do you get a sense that they are moving away from the sort of hardline abstinence and the sort of flattening that made marijuana basically the same as heroin? I, that's because that's what I remember was like, Heroin, marijuana, Gateway. alcohol, yeah. these will all kill you. Yeah, I don't know what the what the resources are actually going to be. I, I think it's a worthwhile question and something that, you know, I think is within my purview to, to, to request to see kind of what the materials are. Um, I hope it's an education strongly geared towards opioids um, and, and, and what happens there. But, uh, but we have some time to kind of look at that. Some other, really, to me, some low-hanging fruit, we had $12,500 which you know that that's a drop in the bucket when you've got a budget like this. But um, I think that's why I was appointed to the committee is because I can be a little annoying during budget season and, and like to dive into it. So, um, but there's twelve thousand five hundred dollars to provide. And I'm reading this here, but provide annual educational materials to New Hanover County health professionals. It's a pamphlet. You know, at the end of the day, it's a pamphlet that we're giving to doctors. I, I think we can probably utilize those funds more directly. Um, and so that uh, we had some early consensus on that. So I think we'll probably see some shifting there. But there's some really great use of funds, you know, to, to the medi- uh, medication-assisted treatments and uh, the MAT programs. I think we'll also see, um, you know, some some abstinence. I want to see a little bit of balance there. But, uh, the, the you know, the MAT programs, to my knowledge and the, the amount of research I've done, do seem to be the way forward. Yeah. And so there was one thing, you know, you and I have talked about this, I believe, at least twice now. We've we've done some interviews on um, on the opioid funding. One of the things you've brought up multiple times is talking with those, uh, you know, I think I think in the New Hanover County program, they call them clients, which I guess they are. But talking with the addicts, talking with the people who need these services as opposed to going through the bureaucratic way um, that a lot of policy gets passed, which is, oh, we looked at research from the CDC, which, you know, it's fine, but it's a bunch of eggheads at the end of the day who are working on theory um, versus actually talking with those people who need these services the most. Um, I guess my question to you is, why is that important to you? And have you have you talked with anybody about that? Um, or, you know, what are your plans to do? So I know staff did a little bit of that. Yeah, I mean, I still have a, a good chunk of time, but I've had some a, a few phone calls from folks that were, you know, heard, they heard me on the radio on another show discussing it, and they had, you know, they were survivors of uh, substance abuse disorder. They made it out the other side. To me, their opinion is is a lot better than the CDC's or uh, or any, like you said, egghead that, that may just be throwing stuff at the wall. Granted, some a lot of this is evidence-based, mm-hmm. and, and their decisions are ultimately being made by looking at the uh, the results from, from medical-assisted treatment programs and, and, and items like that. But, yeah, I think that's paramount to me is to hear from individuals who have suffered from it. And we all know, you know, we all have family members and um, it, it touches everybody in the community. There's no doubt about that. Um, I, I have a, got something from a, a gentleman who was in the meeting, our, our initial meeting, and they uh, they're a startup based on collecting data for mm-hmm. uh, from substance abuse disorder. He sent me a, a, a plethora of information. Uh, one of them was a little class that I took a couple of days ago. That half of it was. Uh, 
I'll, I'll say the clients or survivors, folks mm-hmm. who have come out the other side of it, and all of that was based on medically uh, assistant treatment. So, um, yeah, there's there's definitely something to be said from from hearing it straight from somebody who's lived it, right? And that's what I intend to do. Yeah, absolutely. And one of these programs is that medicated assisted treatment, uh, some funding for that. But what kind of struck me as interesting was uh, putting some MAT. Uh, and for those who don't know, we're talking about, for the most part, uh, these days, it's Suboxone, um, which is a opioid, uh, along with uh, naloxone, I believe, which is an opioid antagonist. So it makes it so you don't get high, but if you do try and, you know, use an illicit substance, you get work, right? immediately, well, it doesn't work, but you get immediately dope sick. I mean, you go into withdrawals. Um, and I can tell you, I'm, you know, I'm very open about my past. It is absolutely miserable if you go the wrong way on this. Um, so, you know, it is a viable solution for some people, and it absolutely saves lives. It doesn't work for everybody. Um, but getting this into the jails, right now I heard that uh, if you're on MAT and you're locked up, um, you, you can continue to receive that medication while you are incarcerated. However, if you're, you know, not and you're, you know, you go into jail and you're, you're sick as a dog um, and let's say, you know, it's a minor drug offense and, you know, you're able to get a self-recognizance bond, but you spend two days detoxing in jail. Um, again, the first thing you're going to do is go out and make sure you stop getting sick, which means getting more drugs. Um, but I feel like a lot of people, let's put it this way, criminals and those accused of crimes and even those who are convicted of them aren't necessarily getting the most sympathy from those in the community. So why do you feel it's important to spend a lot of money on people in jail that might not be the most popular um, way to spend your funding? The recidivism, man. Um, you know, these, these folks are, are in jail because life is probably taking a pretty pretty drastic turn. We do have a $182,000 a year um recurring for five years so a total of 910 that's going exactly to that it's the medication assisted treatment within the detention center and so right now we 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 have that but um this will up it up it to about five additional inmates a week and really you're hopefully you know fixing the issue (laughs) at the end of the day and you're getting people you know off the street you're getting them out of uh out of this this life that um has been probably wildly detrimental to them and -hmm. to the community so uh you're you're initiating the change and and then hopefully offer we're going to be offering the wraparound services as well um if y'all i don't know if you i know you seem pretty familiar with the the, um and you were in the meeting as well Mm -hmm. um so the quick response team and and some of that yeah, definitely. And that's uh, that's through Coastal Horizons as well as uh, some emergency response. And that's to uh, deal with people who are overdosing and not necessarily uh, just have EMS arrive, Narcan them, get them to the hospital and then carry on with your lives. But these people actually follow up with them, uh, you know, try and get them into treatment if that is something that they seek. Obviously, you can't force anybody to, you know, get clean if they're not ready to. But having those conversations past just, hey, you just overdosed here, we got you some Narcan, you're in the hospital now, good luck. Yeah, I mean, the goal, right, is to get to them within 72 hours. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, there, I'm sure there's, there is actually research on that, but I think, again, to your guys' point, more importantly, the sort of lived experience people I've talked to in harm reduction, that is the window. I mean, there's sort of a myth of, like, the golden moment, you're like, right after your Narcan, it's like the... um 
you know, the Tarantino moment where she like rockets up after the adrenaline needle to the chest. Yep. And like they immediately like come to Jesus, sometimes literally, and like, you know, uh, turn their life around. But like there is there is some, you know, anecdotal truth to the fact that like you have some time to reflect. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, I almost died after defecating myself in the street. Like right. maybe I'm on the wrong path. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's I mean, that's we've we followed the QRT for a while. I think the other thing I was interested in is this sort of ongoing debate about the way things might happen at, at some place like the harbor and then. Uh, an MAT facility, you know, a treatment facility after that versus um, the healing place, which is abstinence based and peer led. Mm-hmm. And some people get very passionate about this. Um, again, I think from perhaps from your experience and from my experience with friends, uh, certainly MAT works for a lot of people, not everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know people that, you know, religious based 12 step programs have worked. I know people who've gone straight up Miles Davis style and just locked themselves in the room. So how do you feel about that kind of dichotomy? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, treatment needs to be individualized, right, to the person. And, and I think we need to include these multimodal approaches uh, that uh, ultimately it's going to require a commitment from the individual. Um, but if we can kind of give these wraparound services and kind of take it from multi-pronged, multimodal approach, that's all we can do. And having a balanced effort here is 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 wildly important. There's another um, uh, treehouse recovery. I don't know if mm-hmm. y'all are familiar with that. Really cool program out of California. I think it's 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 male only, and they give you basically like a Navy SEAL style boot camp. I mean, these guys come out pretty shredded, um, and it seems to work because it's just dropping this this something else that it's. Uh, but it's all abstinence based as well. And they may have an MAT component. I'm not sure, but I, I mm-hmm. believe it's all abstinence based. So there's there's and we now have we now have one here downtown. They opened their their mm-hmm. gym yep. essentially uh, a few a few months ago. Um, and I haven't followed up. Probably should follow up with them prior to January. But uh, yeah, so for sure we need to look at this thing from a, a myriad of uh, of different angles because it, it t- it's going to take an individualized approach because these are individuals mm-hmm. that have varied reasons for falling into this. I mean, the little bit of research that I did a couple of days ago, um, this little course was you know the, basically it's you should look at it like type two diabetes. Right, so you come at it from biolo- biological, psychological, and social. I mean, there's a lot of different mm-hmm. reasons that are all pulling together when uh, that's that's bringing people into substance use issues, and um, those issues vary. So, taking an individualized approach is pretty key. And am I correct here that the um, under the settlement terms laid out by uh, Attorney General Josh Stein, it has to be evidence-backed treatment that gets the funding directly? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So I will say one of the um, one of the things I am personally happiest to see is this third pronged approach um, because you have the Dare programs. I'm not, you know, uh, the the Nancy Reagan just say no campaign and those efforts. Um, I think there's enough evidence based on that that the uh, war on drugs was won by drugs. Um, drugs won. Reagan drugs, zero. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, but, you know, hopefully that, that D.A.R.E. program and getting more uh, resource officers and that education is absolutely vital. It's not going to solve drug addiction. Nothing. There's no one-size-fits-all solution. I understand that. Um, getting people the immediate treatment is obviously treating that acute, um, you know, in the emergency situations, which is, again, wonderful. But the final piece of that puzzle is ensuring that long-term recovery. Um, and that, to me, is something that 
you know, once you go through a detox or you go through a treatment facility for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, um, you're pretty much tossed to the wolves and left to fend for yourself. And you're not necessarily in three months getting those coping skills. So um, just want your thoughts on that. Uh, that final piece of the puzzle that doesn't seem to be addressed very frequently. Yeah, ultimately, it's just, that's the social component, right? So these people, once they've, they've made it out the other side, uh, that's, I think, when the battle probably really begins. Because you, you, if you're still sitting and you're, you, know, you have your same family issues, uh, or your same friends that are, that are you know, having the same problems and with substance abuse, which majority of this is, you know, that's, that's how it works, um, you're probably going to, probably going to fall back into it so yeah we have uh and we have forty thousand dollars recurring for five years to two hundred thousand that's employment related services mm-hmm. for people in treatment recovery i think that's probably uh important um and then recovery housing and support for uh for folks in, in treatment recovery that's two hundred fifty thousand recurring for five years to 1.25 um that's that's a short-term housing but uh it, that, that's probably a major issue as well. You know, mm-hmm. if folks uh, are on the street; they're going to probably go right back to the back to the well. So, yeah, absolutely. And in your opinion, the uh, to me, and you know, I'm 33. I'm not that old, um, but I have seen a lot of change over the past 20 years or so when it comes to drug addiction. It reminds me of the old Mitch Hedberg uh, bit where he's saying, you know. Drug addiction is the only addiction that you're going to get screamed at for having. You don't yell at somebody saying, oh, my God, you have diabetes. Why are you taking that insulin? Um, How has your opinion as more education about these have come out um, about addiction, about the disease concept of it uh, and the overall attitude? uh, Because it does affect so many people. Are you seeing a more compassionate approach to treating drug addiction as opposed to just lock them up, throw away the key. They couldn't just say no. Certainly, and especially when it comes to, to the opioid issue. I mean, I think there's some tears to, to, to other drugs and, and and take a reasonable approach to that. But r- with respect to the opioid issue, I mean, absolutely, you're seeing – you're seeing folks from all corners of of life who've been affected and continue to be affected. And, and when people have that, that – that, tangible knowledge of, you know, their family member and, or, you know, their loved ones, mm-hmm. uh, fallen prey to substance abuse issues. I think it's, it, it's a lot more simple and, uh, to, to come around and say, wait, hold on, maybe there's something bigger going on here. And then ultimately resulting in a multi, I think it's a multi-billion dollar settlement, um, mm-hmm. to the opioid manufacturers and, and using that money hopefully in a really prudent manner to, to you're not going to tackle this issue, this issue completely. This is going to take decades, but mm-hmm. um, to educate and, and, and treat and bring people out the other side and, and save lives ultimately. I think that's the, that's the main key. Yeah, absolutely. And with this amount of money, um, you know, we've seen, uh, Ben and I have covered allegations of, you know, uh, possible misappropriation of funding and uh, whenever you do have this large amount of money, I mean, we're talking millions and millions of dollars, there's going to be special interest. You're going to get cold calls from people that say, we have the latest, greatest uh, technology that we can you know, save you from drug addiction and give us your money. Um, how do you and the county, um, because you know personalities are always going to be different, but I, I believe for the most part, um, there's not a whole lot of nefarious 
you know, thoughts within the county or the city, but there are bad actors out there who might have their eye on some of this money. Um, I guess, how do you ensure that accountability and ensuring that the money is being spent in the right places? Well, I think this, the joint committee from the staff standpoint has already done a phenomenal job mm-hmm. and, and given us a framework uh, utilizing our, our local stakeholders that, that, that do a good job uh, already and building on that is really important. Ultimately, somebody has to make the final decision, and, and that's, uh, that's this committee and then you know our respective boards, the county and the city council after that. But um, the, the, of course, the ultimate goal is that it goes into the right hands mm-hmm. and it reaches the people who are being affected every day and then has reverberating effects into our community. That's the most important. That's, uh, I think, from an elected official standpoint, we got to approach it from a place of humility and uh, and really continuing to discuss with, with folks who have lived it and mm-hmm. uh, it, before we make these any of these final decisions on, on funding uh, because it is a lot of money and it can change lives, but uh, government has a <coughs> government has a way of uh, frittering away funds mm-hmm. and i don't want to see that happen here absolutely yeah i think it is encouraging to hear that there are some eyes on the ball there because you know anytime there's a disaster there's disaster capitalism you know mm-hmm. it creates a market whether you love that or hate that um and we saw that you know 2016 2017 we saw a slew of startup companies that were mm-hmm. where there, there was one that was geared at um it was basically like a, it looked like a pill container that you could put leftover medication in and it turned it into like a solid wad. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and they, the ad, the marketing was very strongly worded. It was a, this will solve the opioid crisis. Mm-hmm. But literally the problem was that people were, you know, the state had reacted to the opioid crisis and clamped down a little bit on prescribing. And so people were going to the street to get street heroin to, you know, fill in for oxycodone and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so this was really not fixing the problem and there was yeah. you know but they were asking for grants from the county from the state and so you know when the epidemic was sort of first being like really highly publicized i think there was less education in government mm-hmm. about this so i think i hope <laughs> now that people have done a little bit of research and you know there are genuine good actors out there who want to from the private sector side of the equation come in and help but i think there are also people who think this is the next big widget mm-hmm. agreed you know there's certainly i'm sure money to be made um and c- cutting a check is not going to solve the issue, uh, but I, I do think we've we've part we're partnering with our local stakeholders, which to me is always advantageous, um, rather than just swinging for the fences with the new shiny object, the the pill crusher or whatever that. that, that thing <laughs> I don't remember is. what it was called to be honest. Pill crusher five thousand <laughs> trademark. Well, that's not in the budget. <laughs> um, I guess my final question for you is, um, you know, as I mentioned, you want to talk with people about their lived experiences. What sort of questions are top of mind for you for um, those who've been through this? How did it start, I think, is is um, a good place to start, right? Yeah, <laughs> so how, absolutely. How did it start? When did you kind of make that decision that I and mean, I'm sure that decision is made many times over? Mm-hmm. I know there's not really probably for many people this this moment of aha, you know, the Quentin Tarantino moment. But um, <laughs> when when did you kind of really stick with it? Because ultimately we can give all the tools and all the uh, all the programs and we can fund you know millions and millions of dollars. But it's got to be individualized. And at the end of the day, it's going to take a, a, a commitment from the individual for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a battle that's fought every day. So uh, what was the what was the, the, the moment eventually, obviously, what worked to get you to that point where you could mm-hmm. make that decision um, from a clear head and, 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 and 
make a commitment to, to yourself um, because I think that's important too in some of the interviews that I've seen uh, with folks with substance abuse disorder. They, at the end of the day, they said, you know, that first time I was in rehab, I did it for my girlfriend. The second mm-hmm. time, so I keep my job. Eventually it was like, this was for me. <laughs> and yeah. I think that that's where you really have to be um, uh, from your mindset. So uh, those are some of, the, some of the items I want to see. Of course, you want to hear what's working. Right. And I mean, those are honestly probably the two best questions. What caused this and what solved it? I can't think of better questions to really ask. And I will say um, you're absolutely right. Everybody is going to have a different uh, a different answer when it comes to what works. But I think there, you, as you talk with people, I think there will be common themes that you see. Um, and a lot of people's brains are just wired to, for addiction. We know that now. There's a lack of uh, neurotransmitters in your brain chemistry that, uh, you know, physically you're lacking dopamine or endorphins and you're using this just to feel normal um, to a degree. So uh, you'll, I definitely encourage you to do that. I'm sure you will. And you're going to hear some interesting stories, um, you know, for what it's worth. If you want to pop into a AA or NA meeting, uh, there are open meetings where you can hear firsthand from people sharing. And it is uh pretty eye-opening when you do do that. Yeah, I guess my last question is, um, you know, and this is something we've, well, we've tried to ask the Wilmington Police Department, but we, I have had this conversation with Sheriff Ed McMahon as well about what some law enforcement officers call Narcan fatigue, which is their frustration with Narcanning this same person over and over again. You hear this from paramedics and, and EMS and firefighters. You know, is there anything that the city and county can do about that? Because honestly, what this is all about is taking care of someone during their 10th relapse, not their first relapse. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one, we can give them enough uh, Narcan, <clears throat> Narcan to continue to revive people. Um, and, and maybe there's a discussion to be had to, you know, to the to Wilmington Police Department. I, I could see <laughs> how frustrating it's got to be to watch somebody at the, at the end of their life bring them back over and over and over. And mm-hmm. you just want to probably say, what, you know, what, what do we need to do? I can, I can get that frustration. Um, uh, just as a, as a human being, uh, but ultimately they're there to protect the public, right? And so uh, they need to, you know, I think we can probably have a discussion and make sure that they uh, maybe have some training from a Narcan fatigue standpoint. It, we can't, that can't be singular to, you know, the, the Wilmington area. Sure. I, I'm sure a lot of other uh, departments are, are, are suffering with that. So. Every law enforcement department I've ever talked yeah. to. I don't want to single out yeah. our, our two here. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe there's something, um, some training there that we could maybe divert that. Twelve five that we were spending to <laughs> tell doctors how to do their job. A better pamphlet. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, I think that's really it. Is there anything else about um, this program in particular or really just other happenings within the city that you want to talk about unrelated to this, uh, things you might be excited about, things you might have uh, some questions, concerns? Uh, real quick, I do want to ask uh, the Live Nation package that includes the uh, that includes the box seats I know you have been a uh, a champion for getting rid of that uh, that bloat yeah and um, was that something you suggested I just wanted to wanted to ask well, that before I jump to that sure just back to back to trying to reach out to individuals you know who maybe have a story to tell 
I want to give my phone number. It's 910-599-7081. You guys have a broad reach, and, and I think that's important. You can you can email me if you, you want. As public record, these two guys will probably dig it up. So it's uh, luke.waddell at wilmingtonnc.gov. Um, but you can call me, text me, or, or email me if you want to try and get in, in contact, and I'd appreciate that. Um, with regards to Live Nation, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think – I think the city realized this was a waste of money, yeah. um, and and it probably should have been baked into the contract initially. Uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Sure, um, but we you know we had some leverage um, that that probably should have been flexed early on. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, it came around, and we we put it into this new contract, and it was. It was a non-issue. Nice. Um, so I do want to. I do want to see us utilize it for some economic development opportunities, and uh, and I think that we, I think that's a great tool in our in our tool belt um, mm-hmm. to to bring anybody who's interested in investing in Wilmington to have them sit there and look out over the river and the and in the box um, would be pretty exciting. Uh, so yeah, I was very happy to see that uh, roll through. I don't know, if, and I certainly don't want to take credit for it. But. Sure. No, I mean you're I. I Fully believe that your uh, outspokenness about it probably prompted some uh, some additional looking at that. So um, it, it was common sense, and I think everyone eventually just agreed with that. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, that's something we uh, have a major short of shortage of these days uh, across the country. So yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> um, we we got there though. So. Uh, congrats on that, and thank you so much for joining us. Ben, was there anything else? Yeah. Uh, has the GOP asked you to run for mayor yet? <laughs> <laughs> no. Right. State Senate? No. I'm very happy at the city. I've got a baby on the way, and I, I like being home, and I like seeing – I mean, how many people get to make decisions and see it affect their community almost in real time? I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's a it's – a, I feel very blessed to be where I am. Uh, I've got a nice four-year term. Who knows, you know, what the future holds? But uh, I enjoy it here. Awesome. Well, fair enough. And congrats, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, and I think that's a good place to uh, to leave it for now. I think so. We will see you next week. All right. We'll see you then. Thanks, y'all. Enjoyed it.